Well, good morning. Um, thank you for welcoming myself and Deacon Don from Church of the Redeemer in St. Paul. Um, it's good to be with you. It's good to sort of see and have these experiences of uh, the fullness or, or uh, more fullness of what the household of faith um, can be. And so it's good for us to be here. I'm sure uh, Father Rick looks forward to being with you um, as well. So welcome to those who are gathered. Welcome to those who are participating online. It's good to worship with you. Um, it's, it's interesting where Restoration has, has worshipped at different times. Um, the uh, Nokomis Community Center was where I played basketball as a 10-year-old boy. Um, so I, I thought, like, who would have thought, you know, when I was 10 that I would be preaching in that space? Um, and then I grew up for a while at 58th and Oakland, so just down the street. Um, I would chase the shadows of airplanes on Todd Park as it was going by. So how could I have known that I'd be preaching in this space um, just down the street from where I bought basketball cards? Anyway, so anyway, thank you, Lord, for those interesting and good gifts. Uh, please pray with me. Lord, by the clearness and the brightness of your holy word, may all the world come within your saving embrace. Christ's name I pray. Amen. On January 3rd, 1951, uh, my great-grandmother, Ida Burke, received a telegram. Um, we're probably all of us too, most of us too young to know what telegrams are. Uh, but again, it's like an old-time email or text message. And the telegram read, We regret to inform you that your son, Corporal Harry Leonard Burke, Jr., USMC, has been wounded in action 8th of December 1950 in the Korean area in the performance of his duty and service of his country. I realize your great anxiety, but the nature of his wounds are not reported, and delay and receipt of details must be expected. You will be promptly furnished any additional information received, so on and so forth. That was, uh, it's probably understating it to say that it was hard news uh, for my great-grandmother to receive. It was uh, terrible, disappointing news. And it was stale news, right? It was a month later that she was learning that her son was wounded. All of, of course, that, that previous month, she'd been reading about the battle that my grandpa was involved in. Uh, 120,000 Chinese uh, attacked about 30,000 United Nations troops up at the border of China and North Korea. Uh, there was a single road out. Uh, it was really, really cold, so like 30 below zero at certain times. There were terrible casualties. And now she knew that her son was among uh, those who'd been named um, among numbers wounded. It would be really hard to get news like that, and I suppose, especially just have that last sentence, you will be promptly furnished any additional information as it's received. We would rather much, um, much more know the full story, um, know that there is reason for hope, not merely that you will be notified as we learn more. Advent is a season where we recognize both the depth of tragedy of this world um, and at the same time, wait and hope uh, for the good news of Jesus, for he has come, and he is coming again. And so we remember the stories of people in the past who first waited for Jesus, the Messiah. There's an emphasis on the patriarchs and the prophets, on John the Baptist and on Mary. And so we think about that historical coming of Jesus in the Incarnation, but there's also a present waiting and a present looking for his coming. Today, uh, 2,000 years later, as we wait for Jesus to come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, to set all things right. 
And we wait in that way, not passively, uh, but actively, um, with an with a earnest um, watchfulness, maybe not much unlike my great-grandmother who was waiting for additional news of her son. Zechariah 14, 1 through 9, is a prophecy that has both that complete, the tragedy of this world, as well as uh, a prophecy of its restoration and redemption. It's the final prophecy of the book of Zechariah, um, who prophesied to the exiles who were returning from Babylon after the Persians beat the Babylonians, 6th century B.C. The first prophecies of that book uh, concern the rebuilding of the temple um, and exhortation and encouragement to those exiles who were returning to continue with that work. Um, Even though they were still vulnerable people, they were, again, just exiles returning to their land, a land that other people had laid claim to over the time they'd been away. And so in spite of their enemies, they were encouraged to rebuild uh, the temple and uh, restore or have hope for Jerusalem to be rebuilt. And there's prophecy about Jerusalem being uh, preserved and being sort of a a stubborn stone in the midst of its enemies that couldn't be moved. But Zechariah also prophesies about how the way uh, the leaders of the people would be in error, how they'd be sinful and would need to be overthrown um, and restored and replaced by a good and faithful shepherd, the Messiah. So that's the beginning of Zechariah, and here we are um, at the end. And it's a very dramatic shift because Jerusalem, this city that is uh, prophesied to be sort of stubborn and a holdout and uh, where the focus is so much on its rebuilding and restoration, but here Jerusalem, the home of God's temple, isn't spared but is in fact given over to its enemies. Its inhabitants are either brutally violated or killed or exiled. The city becomes as to- so unrecognizable that these great landmarks like the Mount of Olives is split in half. In the midst of this desolation, God fights against the enemies of God, against the nations, and provides a way of escape for a remnant. That remnant flows out of the city like living water, and in the end, After all of this desolation, the Lord is king over all the earth and his name be acknowledged and honored. Zechariah prophesies um, and he describes three features of the day of the Lord's coming. First, and this is obvious again as as there was sort of warning as we read this, the day of the Lord is terrible, um, as terrible as our world can be. Jesus' description in the gospel lesson as well um, has us, uh, encourages us, urges us to take seriously the coming of the day of the Lord. How there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in cloud with power and great glory. People fainting with fear and foreboding, uh, just an apprehension about the future, that's something probably a lot of us can empathize with, uh, especially now. The Lord, the day of the Lord is terrible. It, it, It takes into account all the terrible things and tragedies of this world. But second, the day of the Lord is also a herald of the restoration of all things, that the Lord fights against injustice and defeats it, Again, from our gospel, 
Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So the redemption comes not at the conclusion of all the terrible things, but even in the midst of them. The rearrangement of the old order, again, is so complete that, that the world is unrecognizable. The day of the Lord isn't um, just limited to chronological time, like when the sun um, sets or rises, but it's ordered by the Lord's time, that He Himself is the light by which this work is done and completed. And in the fullness of, He decides when the fullness of time, when it is complete. So first, it is terrible. Second, it is a day of restoration. And finally, on that day, the remnant of God's people, those who escape destruction, will be like living waters to the world. That the Lord will be king over all the earth and his people will bear the life of his coming, um, flowing out from all directions into the world. That this flowing water won't be uh, water that comes and goes with dry seasons or rainy seasons, but these living waters will flow out into the world without ceasing. God's kingdom doesn't come all at once like a flood, um, like it did in the times of Noah, but it flows out into the world like an ever-flowing stream of his people. Now, as we look at these prophecies, um, we might ask ourselves, I asked it, and then I was sort of trying to dodge it because it's hard. Um, Did this happen? or is it yet to happen? Again, did this happen or is it yet to happen? Um, Maybe as an Anglican, I I take the easy way and I say, yes. (laughs) Um, Many Christians believe, um, it's not actually easy, right? There's complexity to this. Many Christians believe that the prophecy of Zechariah in chapter 14 and then Jesus as well when he's speaking in in Luke 21 and many other times where he's speaking about um, the coming of the Son of Man that these things were fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus and, and then ultimately the destruction of the temple um, by the Romans in 70 AD. And I think if we look at it in that way, uh, at least the figures of these prophecies can be fulfilled. The events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday are consistent with earthquakes and darkening of the sky, of tearing of the temple curtain like the tearing of Mount of Olives um, in half that the opening of graves on the day of resurrection, that's certainly apocalyptic. And the coming of the Holy Spirit and then the flowing out of God's people as living waters in the world, I think we can see those things fulfilled. And all the ways in which this destruction of the temple, this um, upending of the old order, and dispersed Christians, God's people, a new kingdom into all known parts of the Roman world, ultimately upending um, Rome itself. And so, yes, I think there's ways in which we can say that it's fulfilled. And yes, um, it is a day that is coming. Because it does not come all at once. It's not a day that is marked by sunrise or sunset or just chronological time, but the fullness of God's time. That in the fullness of time, Christ will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. There There is a fullness that is yet to come. And in the meantime, as Jesus said um, later in Luke 21, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all the things that are going to take place to stand before the Son of Man. 
And so, yes, I think there's ways we can say that it has come and ways that the day of the Lord is coming. Jesus came in the midst, again, of a world of suffering and terrible violation and humiliation. He came into a world and, and experienced the suffering, both personal and systemic. He, see, he saw estrangement between people, between brothers, between his own disciples. He saw violence and experienced uh, the injustice of violence. And we might think of our own day, um, the ways in which we yearn to see the day of the Lord come, saying, Amen, come Lord Jesus. It's not just the headline grabbers, the things that you see in the paper that are all sort of shared experiences, but many of the different um, uh, individual experiences that you might have in your life. The sort of impatience or unkindness that you experience from friends or family or neighbors. Um, Thanksgiving is really great, um, but it also puts us all in a place where we can't really choose who is our family, and we see those frictions. There are lots of frictions around my breakfast table at my house today. And the ways that we ourselves respond in this world um, that is still wrestling with sin and death. And maybe asking ourselves, how, how am I responding? How, how am I ready for the day of the Lord? Or will it come to me, come upon us like a trap? But no matter the wrongs that you have done or the wrongs that, have done to you, that are done to you, the things that weigh upon your heart or mind, no matter what news or headline um, has your attention and um, weighs heavily upon your heart, God loves this world, and he showed it through sending his son into the midst of this messy, tragic world. Jesus came into this world for you and for your neighbor. And so in the midst of that trial, straighten up and raise your heads because redemption is near. A week or two um, after my great-grandmother received that telegram, um, she also received another letter uh, from Tokyo, and it read, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Burke, Enclosed are several parents of your son, Harry, which we took in the Tokyo General Hospital the other day. He is fine and quite chipper after the experience he has been through. I am photo editor for the Associated Press, and one of our photographers, Frank Knoll, was working with the Marines when he was captured in Northeast Korea. Mrs. Knoll had sent him a Christmas box of books, cigarettes, and other items, so rather than let them go astray, I took them to the hospital and looked up a Marine, because Frank always liked and admired the Marines. I gave the box to Harry and made these pictures to send to Mrs. Noel and thought that you would also appreciate getting several recent pictures of him. If you want me to do anything in particular for him, let me hear from you. That letter, I, again, I don't know how much longer it came after the telegram, gave my great-grandmother great hope. Her son was wounded, um, but she saw pictures of him. Her hope was restored that she might see him again. And uh, 70 years later, um, her great-grandchildren and grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren can still hold on to those ar that artifact of hope in her life, um, a testimony of a short period of time, which is really only known to her in, her me in God's memory, um, but that really restored her hope that she might see her son again face to face. The Restoration Anglican, in the midst of this world that is passing away, with people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming into the world, um, with uh, news that really ends with that 
really not helpful line um, that you can realize your anxiety, but we'll let you know more as, as we learn more. In the midst of this world that is passing away, our redemption is still near. The day is coming soon when you shall see your God face to face, when Jesus our King comes to judge the living and the dead. And in this time, in the meantime, we are to remember the ways and works of God and set our hope upon his coming. Because as we proclaim each and every Sunday in all this time of waiting, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And with that hope, with that proclamation, we can acknowledge the depth of of death and its shadow. We can offer our trials and prayers to God, asking asking him to refine us through uh, those things and supply what is lacking in us and lacking in our faith. For death is defeated in the life of Christ and the light of Christ has shown in us that God calls us out of darkness and the shadow of death to walk in the light of his coming. And then in the midst of this tumult and drought and desolation, that God sends us out, um, feeding us, um, sending us out with his life um, each and every week as living waters to the nations, to our friends and our neighbors, our coworkers. For God, who said, let light shine shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. O God of unchangeable power and eternal light, look favorably on your whole church and this local church in particular, Restoration Anglican, that wonderful and sacred mystery. By the effectual working of your providence, carry out in tranquility the plan of salvation. Let the whole world see and know that things that which were cast down are being raised up, and things which had grown old are being made new, and that all things are being brought to their perfection by him through whom all things were made, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.